Welcome to The Naked Truth, real talk about West Coast Swing. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah. And today we are joined by co-founder of Gotham Swing Club, first and foremost West Coast Swing Club in the Northeast, co-founder of Liberty Swing Dance Championships. He hosted the longest-running weekly West Coast Swing Party in New York City, a renowned instructor, DJ, dance stylist, judge and competitor, teaching since 1991 in venues across the country and the world, known to influence dancers and DJs equally. He is now dedicated to classic style of swing. He's a member of the DJ Hall of Fame and inducted as a living legend of dance in 2006 and one of my great friends and one of my fabulous mentors. Please welcome John Festa. Hello, Deborah. Hello, Eric. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) You deserve it. You're awesome. So we we have the same first question for everyone every time we start the show. And it is, how did you get started in West Coast Swing? Well, I started as a Lindy Hopper. So it was an easy jump to West Coast Swing. Right. Um, my parents were very big swing dancers, and I learned to to swing as a child, but it was Lindy Hop. And around 1989, I think, or 90, um, one of the local Lindy weekends hired uh, Mario Rabat, and he came up, and and he did his thing, and he likes to tell the story that I said, oh, that's that's lovely, but it'll never catch on. <laughs> but in fact, what I said was, that's great, but it doesn't swing. And uh, But then yeah, I was so attracted to the music. It was the music because, you know, at that time, the Lindy Hop crowd, we were dancing to the same six songs over and over and over. This is well before the Gap commercial, well before it was the general public picked it up. So literally, we were dancing to String of Pearls and In the Mood and One O'Clock Jump. Every single night, every Ooh. single time. And it just, I just felt like there was more, which is actually how I started DJing. But, um, but when I was first exposed to West Coast Swing, and I think Mario's demo was to James Brown, and I just went, Oh my God, this, mm. this is perfect. We can do, we can dance to this. We can absolutely dance to this. And that's how I shifted over to, um, West Coast Swing. And in those days, it was a very easy jump because we were dancing much faster. And that was so much, it was so similar. My father, hardcore Lindy Hopper, never did one ounce of West Coast Swing, could dance with a West Coast Swing dancer with ease, without, without right. the slightest modification, mm-hmm. which is not the way it is nowadays. So you liked it when you first saw West Coast Swing because, like, the last four people we've interviewed said they hated it <laughs> when they well, saw it. You know, I can't, I, like I said, I just felt like this, this does not swing. This mm-hmm. does not swing. No, don't forget Mario's style is very Texas. It's a lot of turning, a lot of vertical, the right. focus is not footwork. So it was exactly not what I do automatically. So to watch it, I'm going, hmm, that doesn't look like swing to me. Right. But, um, but again, it was the music, the music that just drew me in. It was so, so great. So exciting. I agree. So who influenced you as you became a West Coast swing dancer? Like, who did you look to? Um, were, were there anybody you learned from or admired? Yeah. So there was a pivotal moment. It was around, I think, 91. And I was out at the U.S. Open. And, you know, starry-eyed. It was all just amazing and new. And, you know, it was uh, the, the, I just loved it so much. I loved the, the, the followers, the walking on straight legs and just the, the power of it all. I just loved it. And Margaret Batichuk, a local hero in New York City, all weekend kept saying, you have to dance with this guy. You have to dance with this guy. And it was 1991, and I really was not digging the idea of dancing with this guy. Mm-hmm. And I finally said, okay. And it was Ramiro. Mm. And we wound up dancing for two days mm. straight, eight hours a day. Wow. And it it changed everything in my dancing. Literally, it was like a current coming through my hand. And I went, oh, oh, I get it. Mm-hmm. And everything, and then it cha- and everything changed from then on. And it, uh, you know, I kind of developed a a different style. My focus kind of changed a little bit. I and loved it. What was it about dancing with Ramiro that that struck you, that transformed your dancing? 
Yeah. His footwork, um, the, you know, the action is all under you. So to use your feet and legs that way without disturbing your center Hmm. was miraculous. And, you know, just by, as I said, it was like a current coming through my hand. Now, maybe it's because I'm prone to that movement anyway, and I just needed somebody to move me in that direction because all of a sudden I could kind of do this. Mm-hmm. And it was so very exciting. And that's still my goal now, you know, to be, have all the action on the floor with a calmness from your center up. Right. This, this is the, the, my main goal. And it was that because Romero is incredible, incredible. The rhythm on that guy. It's unbelievable. Agreed. So you love the musics and now you love the dance because you danced Mm -hmm. with Ramiro. So Mm -hmm. how did you get started as a West Coast Swing DJ? And and how would you describe what your sound was as a DJ? Yeah. Well, so I was working at a studio called Stepping Out owned by Diane Lathrop. And she wanted to have um, a kind of a, a swing party. And there was a place on, in New York City, it was a country bar called Duda's. And we had a split swing country night. I think it was Wednesday, but maybe Tuesday. And I started DJing there. That was my first West Coast swing venture. I started my first actual DJ job was for the New York Swing Dance Society as the Lindy Hopper. So what happened was, as I said, we were listening to the same music over and over and over. So I went to them and I said, you know, I would like to DJ. <laughs> and uh, and they're like, sure. And so they gave me like one hour and it was, I was scared to death, but I just played what I knew, or at least I thought I knew what was great swing music. I like, um, you know, I love big band, absolutely love it, but I love the middle, the middle. The fifties and the sixties, mm-hmm. like so, so Bobby Darren and all that, that sound, though just a little more updated, but still swinging, swinging. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did all that and Ooh. that's how it, that's how I first started DJing. And then, uh, through stepping out, I started that night at Dudas and, uh, it was a, initially split, but, um, that was, that was how it started. You know, my sound, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I had a sound then. I think I grew into a sound. Mm-hmm. You know, for certainly the river, <clears throat> having that weekly party for that, I don't even know how many years it was, nine, nine? years? Nine, yeah. I think. Um, then I grew into a sound. Then I, because I was, I was doing it so much and I was consumed by collecting music, which well, in those you- was no easy task. Right. No, true story. We talked about that with John. So, so then let's talk about you grew into your sound. So the sound that you grew into, what would you describe that sound as? Well, you know, from that, from the river, the the river used to, I used to model my programming at the river on the seventies discos in New York city. When you went to a disco, the night started, the tempo was medium, it built up, it got you all revved up at the pinnacle of the night, and then just on the other side of the of the height, they would start slowing it down. Mm-hmm. And the whole last 25% of the night was slow, dirty, fantastic. <laughs> and, and that's exactly what I used to do with the river. I exactly, uh, uh, we used to even have a term for it after 11 p.m., um, where things got really, I don't know, I don't have an adjective that I could Grooving? Put yeah, it's what, yeah, ultimately became late night groove. Um, mm-hmm. but that was, that was my, my plan. That was my programming. It was actually very upsetting if, if it didn't go that way. I couldn't, <laughs> it had to follow that course. Somebody would come over at quarter to 12 and want a song that was 140 beats a minute. It was just absolutely impossible. It's right. impossible. I'm sorry. It's impossible. We can't do this for you. Exactly. It's done. It's done. I'm sorry. It's not your night. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, uh, but that, so my sound, I think, I mean, then it became very recognizable, uh, for uh, recognizable because for a few years I was the late night DJ and I love late night groove. I love it. it has to hit a certain, 
uh, a certain sound that gets you right. It, it gets you in the middle. It goes through. It surpasses your ears and goes right to your core. Mm-hmm. And this, this is what drove me. It still drives me, but I, I don't get it. I don't dwell there as much as I used to. But I think that's my sound. Nowadays, I'm known as a blues DJ, and I completely get it. Because nowadays, I think the term blues means anything that's not contemporary pop. Right. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if you actually look at my playlist on any given night, I don't think there's 10% of the songs that are actually blues, what I consider blues. Because blues is a term that means something specific. Right. Correct. Um, but I'm known to be a blues DJ, again, because I don't, I don't play contemporary pop music. I don't. Mm-hmm. We're not mad, though, that you don't play it. <laughs> <laughs> but there's enough, enough of that covered. I'm happy to do my own thing. Yeah. <laughs> so you've mentioned the river, and uh, you're referring, of course, to North River Bar in New York City. And there are a few notable dance venues in the history of West Coast Swing, right? Like that everybody kind of knows of historically. And in March of 1993, you started a weekly dance in New York City that became known as North River Bar. Um, and this dance was, you know, the place to dance. We've talked about it with other guests on this show, people coming from as far as Philadelphia and Albany to attend. And it was where so many greats of our dance honed their craft. People like John Lindo and Angel Figueroa, Blake Hobby Dowling, um, Hazel and Tybalt Ulrich, and even our very own Deborah Zaykay. <laughs> We're wondering, you know, what's the story of how you got this dance started and how did it become so successful? Yeah, it was exactly March of 93 and it was on a Tuesday night. And I remember the first night I originally called the dance Honky Tonk Jump Party because it was a CD I had. Um, It was a a, a compilation CD of uh, 50s kind of uh, Honky Tonk Blues. Hmm. kind of jump blues, let's say, but moderate tempos. But that was the name of the album, and I just loved it. I even loved the cover of the album. So the party, I have the flyer buried someplace. I originally called the party Honky Tonk Jump Party. Um, the first night, there were 14 people, and I was thrilled. Hmm. And it came about because that North River Bar used to have uh, Lindy dances there. Hmm. There was a... a a, a trio called the Swing Now Trio. And I used to go there because, of course, right at that moment, I was still, I had my my my, my hand in both. Mm-hmm. And I contacted the um, manager of North River Bar. His name is Spanky, a retired detective. And he was like, sure. He I was remember the him. He's the easiest mm-hmm. guy. He was like, sure, let's do it. And, uh, you know, it started. And I remember it took a year to get to 50 people. And I was overjoyed. When it got to 50, the place was not perfect. Now it would never fly nowadays. There were nails in the floor, uneven boards, a pole in the middle of the room. There was pool tables that we had to dance around, pinball. It, it would it would not fly right now. I've had dances in much better venues that people complained immensely, immensely, because the conditions were just, just un- unbearable. Uh, but the the thing, you know, the river was just magic, mm-hmm. and I I can't even say exactly why. Other, I mean, I was so into it. I lived for this. I spent all week scouring the world for music, and if I heard a song again in those days, you had to go store to store to find that CD. And if it was out of print, you know, then you you just went to every damn used CD store. And I spent my entire week doing this. And on the day itself, I went, I used to do a little flyer that we got out that you uh, were handed when you came in. I used to call it Swing Central. And again, in those days, I had to type this thing up on a word processor. I had to take it to Kinko's. I had to have it copied. Then I had to go pick up this. I mean, the, my, my life was consumed by North River Bar. So perhaps all that energy, all that focus, you know, uh, manifested as you said earlier um, because it was just it was the highlight of my week I loved it. I could not have loved it more and when you're in the middle of it you don't even realize what was happening because it was just so good everybody was just having fun you don't even realize how good it is until after a little while after it goes away and you know you never miss the water till it's gone right 
And then you go, oh, my God, that was fantastic. It was because so good. It was so good. It was just, just so good. And it was so exciting. And in those days, again, this is the 90s, every region in the country had a different sound because right. the, we hadn't been digitized yet. You, you know, music was not available through through files and through computers and through things like this. So it was very regional. Every every region had a sound, and I loved, loved, loved that the, the the river created kind of a northeast sound. Everybody knew everybody knew the sound. Everybody recognized. That's the right. Sound. They did. And I loved it. I loved it so much. So, John, I don't know if you realize this, but you were a pioneer in like what late night sound music was supposed to be like and what it was supposed to sound like. And it, it, it seems to me that your late night groove, because all other regions played a late night groove, but your late night groove was the groove that caught on so widely across the Northeast and the country. What, what do you think it is about your sound that made people so, oh my God, like, because we all talk about John Festa had a sound and we've been to other places and other DJs that played and, no one could be John Festa. So what do you think it was about your sound that caught on so widely? Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. Mm. You know, um, I like a very soulful, bass-heavy, emotional sound. Those are the things. You know, when you're actually dancing and expressing something, not, not as if just kinetic isn't enough, but when you're actually dancing from your heart or from, from another emotion, it's mm -hmm. so much richer. So it was always the music that I felt evoked that, that would make that accessible right. to the average dancer so that it was just right there and they could just latch on and get taken for a ride. So that was always what, what drove me. And honestly, I mean, it, being a DJ is selfish. It should be. It should be because you're, it's your view. It's your perspective and you should have one mm -hmm. and it may not make everybody happy, but it should make some people and dare I say most people happy. Mm -hmm. And uh, my music is, is that way. I, I, I don't play music. I don't like, can mm -hmm. I say that out loud? Of course. <laughs> I don't Absolutely. play music I don't like. And if somebody, you know, I, I don't like that song. And I won't like it for a variety of reasons. I won't like it because I don't think it's good to for to dance to. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't have um, some of the structure that I think our dance requires. Mm -hmm. Or uh, I won't like I, uh, I I won't like it. I don't think the song itself has much integrity. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's a lot of different reasons why I won't like a song. And again, I think you should turn yourself over to the DJ. You have a hundred percent right to hate it, but turn yourself over. And just go for that ride. Again, this comes from my my New York City in the 70s disco. You went, you listened, you didn't say, "Oh, excuse me, could you play this?" Right. You you went. You you got you got on the train. You either liked where it went or you didn't. And that's kind of that's kind of what I do as well. It's interesting that you say this because you know a couple of DJs that we've spoken to, some you know one or two agree with you, and others feel that. Um, it, the DJ, I'm not going to play what I like. Um, I should play what the, you know, what the room likes. And, and I, I feel like it's the DJ's job to educate the dancers on what good music is because you know better than we do. And, and some disagree with me and some agree with me. So, and I think it's a combination of both. Wouldn't you say it's working the room and seeing, you know, what works and what doesn't, but also saying like, if it moves me and I'm a dancer, it should move others. Do you agree with that? I agree 100%. Mm -hmm. I, I believe a, a DJ is a performance as any other artistic form. It's a performance. Mm -hmm. And anybody can pull up a Hot 97 playlist. Mm -hmm. There's right. no artistry here. This is nothing. And certainly nowadays with Spotify and, and music having, you know, so, so available. Mm -hmm. Anybody and in a minute can pull up something, but but where where do you show your personality, your expertise, your uh, knowledge of music? I believe absolutely. My job. I know that I play music that most people do not hear, right. and I I feel like my job is to get them to dance to music, to actually enjoy dancing to music that they don't think they like. Right. Because they go, oh my god, I didn't even realize. 
And in fact, it might even serve the dance that you're doing a little better than what you right. used to. Um, I, totally agree. I had a great compliment from a pro up at Upstate Dance Challenge. I played, you know, I'm usually relegated to a second room because of my, you know, my sound is a, is a separate party type thing. But I'm often in the main ballroom. And sure enough, this weekend I was up in the main ballroom. And a pro came over to me on Sunday after I had played for a couple of hours Saturday night. And he said to me, you know, I have to tell you, I'm really not a fan of, I really, really like contemporary music. It's my preference. Mm -hmm. But I really enjoyed your music last night to my own surprise. I, I had so much fun dancing mm. to this, these sounds. And this is to me, this is exactly what I'm going for in right. this day and age. Because the, the, the culture has been consumed by uh, contemporary music. And I, I, you know, I do my thing. I'm carrying the flag high, and that's it. And again, I stand behind you. <laughs> I do. Thank you. So, yeah, uh, I forgot the question. What's the question? <laughs> you answered it. <laughs> okay, perfect, perfect. No, honestly, about it's about you know playing to the room versus. Listen, I know when I'm tanking, and I, it happens because people are so unfamiliar with the sound that they they need to get back to uh, their base. They need it. From time to time. And I don't have that music. I do not have that music. So I feel, I can see, I can feel when the room is tanking. And I will do my best to just keep their attention. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I'm not going to, I don't have the, the top current, you know, um, contemporary song. I, I just don't. But I will do my best to keep the room's attention, to keep them centrally focused, and to move it forward. I think sometimes you you don't keep the room's attention, not because the music isn't good, but because so many people are set in their ways and they just don't even want to like be open-minded and listen to a good song, even though it's not contemporary. They just want the contemporary and that's it. That's how I feel it is. Yeah, I, I agree. I think people, they get a little closed off and believe me, nobody's more opinionated than me. So I get it. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I believe that you should listen to music as if it's God talking, because guess what? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you actually listen, listen, this is one of my main complaints with contemporary music now. It's empty. They left off 16 of the tracks. Mm -hmm. It's just a backbeat and some bad vocals, Right. you know, and for me, it's the nuance. It's the layering. It's the progression, the modulation. This is this is the brilliance. Of music, and this is what motivates, I think, dancing. You know, it's no coincidence that every period of of, um, of culture that has is focused on dancing, then pop music was generated by full orchestra. It's no coincidence, big band, disco, because it's that full sound where everything is layered, and it your body feels it and hears it. And this is the complaint I have with contemporary music. It's just empty. There's not even a chord change. There's not even key change. It's I, just plods along, plods along. And listen, there's nothing more seductive than newness. This is absolutely attracts people. This explains low-rise genes, for crying out loud. This is not <laughs> doesn't serve anybody, but everybody's on board because it's not high-rise genes. It's now low-rise genes. So newness has that quality, and I get that these this sound feels like it's new but if you actually listen to the integrity of the composition i mean you know what is there there's not a, a musician on that record can i even call it a record no there's not a, there's not a musician there's nobody that even reads music within 50 miles of that record oh you guys are not allowed to publish this yes we are it's going to be great <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be yes. Well, yeah. I think what, what you're saying exactly is right. I mean, and, and I've spoken with different DJs, some who veer towards the new because they think that's what people want. Um, but I've also had conversations about people wanting what's familiar, right? That if a, if a DJ is playing too much new music or unfamiliar music, that they, they're uncomfortable, um, that they like the familiarity of what they already know. And, you know, I think the music you play is new to them, even though it's not always new, like top 40. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, you said your job is to kind of help the, the, the room find 
the groove in that, you know, connect with the music you're playing. Um, how do you think about changing up kind of the sound of the music that you're playing? Like what's, what's your approach as a DJ to creating a groove in the room um, with the music that you play? Absolutely. I believe texture is the most important thing. Mm. Texture, meaning don't play four songs in a row that are exactly the same, that are equivalent in value. Right. There's nothing unless, unless for the 15 people that love that sound, fantastic. They're on cloud nine. But it's not going to perk up. It's actually going to lull people to sleep. You know, I, I cue every single song I play. I've been playing the same music, some of it for 30 years. Mm. And I still cue it every single time because I want to hear how it's going to sound when the song that's playing is over and this new sound comes in. Right. Is it going to be interesting? Is it going to dip the energy? Is it going to, is it going to do what I want? Is it going to keep the room's interest? Mm -hmm. So absolutely. I agree with you that people will, they, they like the flip. There's a warmth and a comfort in familiarity. Absolutely. It can be sound or specific songs. But, um, so when I, you know, when if, if I get too artistic or if I get too, let's say, swingy, too mm -hmm. standard swingy, because I love, well, I love a lot of different things. But, um, you know, I'll bring back a thumping sound, you know, my version, my version right. of a, a thumping sound. So that because this is, it does drive the room. There's no mm -hmm. doubt about it. And certainly when you come out of a non-thumping sound, it has even more power. It just, you know, it gets everybody going. Right. Yeah, and we've talked with uh, we talked with Ruby. Uh, we recently talked with Victor um, about how they DJ, and the the big thing for them is kind of like you said, variety. Not playing the same song or the same sound over and over. Just keep mixing it up so yeah. that there it keeps people interested and it appeals to a wider audience. You know, people who yeah. like a different sound keeps them on the floor. Right. I used to say years and years ago. I used to say to hit a home run, you have to touch every base. Mm -hmm. Right. Boom, 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 boom. Just keep hitting that because otherwise, you know, again, you can just bore people. Yeah. Uh, so there was a response to, I think it was um, when Victor, when we did Victor's uh, podcast where uh, someone had uh, said that the reason why, you know, DJs don't play any more blues music anymore is because it clears the floor and, so what are DJs supposed to do? And, and, and I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, John, but I feel like there are DJs today that are playing blues music. They're just playing the wrong blues music because if it's a good blues song, like, you know, just for example, like if we think about, um, uh, Otis Redding and Solomon Burke and, um, uh, Papa Chubby and, you know, any one of their songs would not make me want to go off the floor. It would make me want to walk onto the floor. Mm -hmm. So, I don't think blues music clears the floor. I think bad music clears the floor, blues or not. I agree. And, you know, to say blues music clears the floor, it, it is so not true. It is uh -huh. absolutely not true. Mm -hmm. Again, it's it's your choice of song and your placement of song that is super important. Every song is good, but the placement is the most important thing. It's always application. It's just like your wardrobe. Something can be fantastic, but you're wearing it wrong with the wrong thing at the wrong time, and it's ridiculous. Right. And then you pull it out for the right time with the right thing, and it's perfect. Mm -hmm. And the, this song, music is, and again, this is the expertise of the DJ. That's what a DJ is. You have to know when to place that song. Now, blues music, uh, we have to acknowledge, we do have to acknowledge that there's a large percentage of the crowd that does not have the ability to dance to blues music. Agreed. And when I say blues music, I'm using air quotes, and I mean swing music, music mm -hmm. that swings, music that either goes, fly me to the or right. boom, 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 boom. boom. This, is, this is swingable. This mm -hmm. automatically has a syncopation. Mm -hmm. Now, if you cannot, if you do not have the skill, if your body does not move that way, then that song is going to come up short for you. And you're not going to enjoy it the way somebody who's a little more experienced or has that in them, they're going to love it. They're going to love it. So that, that's, a, that's a very important thing. Now, it touches on a thing, a whole philosophical question. Are we swinging? Oh, boy. <laughs> the naked oh truth, boy. people. The naked truth. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> So 
All right, so we won't even touch that for now. No, go uh, ahead. No, jump in. No, 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 do it. Well, because... clearly we're not swinging. Clearly we're not swinging. Clearly. And any I, I, anybody who says, well, the dance has evolved. Great. A dog evolved from a wolf. It's not a dog anymore. I mean, excuse me, it's not a wolf anymore. Mm-hmm. So clearly something can evolve beyond what it was to something new. Mm-hmm. I don't think that contemporary West Coast swing swing. I can feel it when I dance with the modern dancers. Um, and as a little piece of evidence, they're teaching classes in how to dance to blues. If you swang, would, would you need a class in right. how to dance to blues? Right. No. And listen, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I, I 110% because I see a little bit of uh, curiosity uh, for what what it was or what it is. You know, I'm kind of like the last man standing or one of the last men standing who's a swing, a swing. I'm known as like the swing ambassador. Mm-hmm. And believe me, I do more private lessons now with modern pros than I do with the general public. Modern pros, they want to know, what what is it? What are you talking about? What is it? How, what does this feel like? How, how do you do this? Mm-hmm. And this, I'm very happy about this. I'm very happy about this. And I see there's even a minor interest in Europe for a little more swinginess. And again, I'm very glad about it. So, um, but again, I forgot the question. I talked too long. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't Uh, a question, but go ahead, Eric. I know what you're going to say. Go. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, so thinking about, you know, blues music and where it fits in and people not playing enough blues music or people not dancing to it, you know, and you you were saying part of the reason is they, they don't know how, right? right? Like our dance doesn't swing. Actually, before you, you get back to that, I'm curious when you say, that the dance doesn't swing. Are you talking about specifically a swung rhythm or are you talking about some other aspect of the dance? Or the, the physical music? dance itself. The right. But are you talking like we don't, we don't dance a swung rhythm. We dance a straight rhythm or is it some other aspect? No, it's a, I think it's a physical thing. I think it's a center to center uh, counterbalance. Mm. This is what I mean by swing. Yeah. Cause why are we holding hands? Right. Right. What are we holding hands for? If we're not going to, we're not going to use each other. Mm-hmm. That. That, for me, is the greatest, the greatest joy. Because not only are you and your partner using each other's bodies for balance and for leverage, but your foot hits the floor completely differently when you're off balance. Basically, you're off balance. You're using your partner to hold yourself up. Right. And that's an extreme, you know, I'm using poor words. I don't mm. want that to be, you know, the, the what it means. <laughs> but the way your foot hits the floor is completely different. Mm-hmm. And this is what I mean by swung. This is swung. Because this does not come easily. This is the hardest, the hardest job. West Coast Swing used to be the most difficult dance. It used to be that in Argentine Tango because they were so dang technical. Now mm-hmm. West Coast Swing is an entry-level dance because they're not asking for center-to-center connection. Mm-hmm. And center-to-center connection is a new balance. It's like riding a bicycle. You're not going to do it the first time. And what makes it worse is that you're riding a bicycle with somebody else and you're going to be off balance and come back on balance. You have to do it yourself. You have to know when it comes. It's very complicated, mm-hmm. but that's the joy. That to me is the joy. You have the rhythm, you have that counterbalance, that shared balance, and it is just magic. Hard to come by and it does not come easily. <clears throat> so that's what I mean when I say we're not swinging. Yeah. Uh, most of the time when I dance with modern people, we are just holding hands upright. Hmm. And if I sit back into the frame, they think it's a lead forward because they felt my weight go back. That's, right. again, the experience. You have to know what I'm asking for because it should feel different. Yeah. So I know um, back when I still lived in New York, there were lots of conversations online about this, right? And that a big reason um, cited for why we lost the counterbalance was the speed of the music. Right. Because when you're dancing faster, there's kind of inherently more momentum and there's more mm-hmm. need for counterbalance. Right. So like when you're doing Lindy and you're dancing 200 beats per minute, I mean, there's nothing but counterbalance because yeah. you're moving <laughs> faster. So yeah. I'm curious what you think about how the dance has slowed um, or how the music has influenced the dance. You know, how much of it is the music influencing the dance versus just, you know, trends or teaching or other things like that? I think you're exactly right. Now, um, 
because back in the North River Bar days, I was we were dancing. I would play songs that were 92 beats a minute, which is yeah. slow. Yeah. And yet we were balanced. We were counterbalanced. Right. That was crazy fun yeah. because your hang time is so long. It was crazy fun. But yes, I agree. But I think it's twofold. I think competition changed it, and I think the sound changed it. Yeah. Not only the, the speed of the sound, but the sound itself. Competition brought focus to a new sound that was going to get attention on the competition floor. And what started winning was a more contemporary clubby sound was what started winning with the younger competitors and put that on top of um, the, the music started to slow down, started to, and everything changed. So now the music, listen, in my mind, music drives everything. Music is why we move. Mm-hmm. The music was not invented for us to move. We move as a reaction to this fantastic thing called right. music. Right. So um, when the sound changed, there's no reason to do that. And then what happens is when that's gone, now all of a sudden the followers are bored. Mm-hmm. So then they take over conversation. Right. So what? What? <clears throat> Now we're having two conversations. You're not adding to the conversation. We're having two conversations. It's two radios playing different channel facing each other. Right. Great. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what 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 is it about the music then? Can you like articulate what it is in the music that you think like takes away from that counterbalance as opposed to music that does? Sure. First of all, it's straightforward. Mm. Straightforward. Boom. 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 This is this this is the action to me that that sound elicits is more upper body movement than it is lower body. If you think I I refer back, swing dancing was invented by tap dancers. Mm-hmm. So the action was centered down, it was into the floor. This is of course you know a little it happened to be a little projection because this is what I do. But you can't deny the dance was invented by tap dancers. Mm-hmm. That straight four to me asks for upper body movement. You see all this. So again, it's not asking for us to sit into the frame. It's not asking for footwork. You know, who's uh, what new dancer is known for footwork? Exactly. Cricket. <laughs> exactly. Because it's not asking it. I mean, and this is, this is one of the reasons I'm challenged by contemporary music. I have no game for it. My mm. whole dance is footwork and center to center connection. Mm. So, this is it's it just doesn't fit it just does not fit yeah and i think you know deborah and i have talked about this among ourselves and hopefully on an upcoming episode we'll talk more about dancing in europe and how it's kind of evolved a little differently but i know every time i've gone over to europe and on the few occasions i've had the chance to teach there i get asked exactly what you just said like can you teach us blues and i'm like well it would help if you would listen to music that had like a driving bass like uh-huh. that made you want to dance low uh-huh. because when you dance to things that are, that, that are less rhythm driven or uh, like you said, a sound that kind of calls for upper body movement, then you're not finding the, the down rhythm, right. the lower half. And then you have trouble dancing to something like blues that is driven by a baseline. Right. Um, well, so right. I, I totally hear what you're saying about how music can foster different body music. And I'm a hundred percent on board with, you know, this dance evolved to music. Like right. every exactly. dance evolves to music. To um, music. And so what we play is, is important. So that, uh, like I just got back like from New Year, I went to Austria for New Year's, mm-hmm. right, to teach. And um, we just got the, like the survey back. And there was a lot of feedback where a lot of people thought that I taught the dance old style. And as far as I'm concerned, this is how I dance. And whether I'm dancing to new music or old music, I still dance that way. Uh-huh. I, I I still dance low into the ground and wait you know wait for my partner to bring me somewhere and not re and I feel like it allows me to be a very um, versatile dancer because of the way I've learned how to dance. So I I don't like the word old style and new style. I I like to think about you know technically how my body works depending on who I'm dancing with and what the music is telling me to do. Yes. Don't you agree with that? Well, you know when I teach. I'm sure I am old style like you because right. I teach I teach what I understand to be swing dancing. Mm-hmm. And but I tell people in class, I know this is 
what you, what you know. I know that the interpretation of West Coast Swing has changed today. I know that, but what I'm teaching you takes practice. You will not come to this on your own. Mm-hmm. And if you're dancing with somebody who can do this and you can't hear it, if they're speaking this language that you don't speak, you're going to miss this fantastic opportunity. So, right. you know, for the next hour, we're going to do this so that it gets in your body. So the next time you will get presented with this, you'll have a little knowledge. And again, you know, to your point, Deborah. How many West Coast swings are there? There's West Coast swing. And this is this is what you're teaching. This is what I'm teaching. Right. And somebody can say, you know, put on styling. But to say that this is now West Coast swing, I want to know what what authority of what authority is this? That now this is West Coast swing. I'm totally on board with that. Swing is swing. It's always been. And again, yeah, the dance has evolved. Okay. So tell me what it is that you're saying you're doing that qualifies it for West Coast swing. What is it exactly? For me, it's a center-to-center balance, up-center, and, uh, you know, beyond that, what, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I got, where, where did I go? I went somewhere. Well, where did I, I think I both. Edit this good. Edit this good. Okay. Yes. Stop freaking out, John. <laughs> both of you, but what both of you teach, and, and Deborah, exactly what you were saying of dancing, <laughs> Dancing low and dancing connected, right? Like that's that those are core to the dance. Um, and and to your point, Deborah, you know, dancing low and dancing counterbalance, like these are what allow you to dance with another partner, right? So if you're not learning skills to dance with another partner, what are you learning? (laughs) And I say that class, I say those very words. I say this is a partner dancing. Yeah, it means you cannot do it without a partner. If you can do it without a partner, it's not partner dancing. You know, Deborah, we have to tell that story. We're in Toronto. We had this moment. She and I were dancing, Eric. And it was the simplest, the simplest thing. I took her into a closed A-count turn. But we, it was so relaxed, but we were so centered. And there's such an ease and a strong dynamic when two centers use each other to move mm-hmm. that we both gasped. Uh, we were just like, oh, my God, that was fantastic. Right. And it was nothing. <laughs> it was how basic. Right. But that's the point. That's how rich and how dynamic it is when two bodies dance together. Physically, use your dancing with another body. You're not just holding hands. The two bodies are dancing together. No, yeah, I totally That's rare. It's rare. It doesn't yeah. happen that much anymore. You get it? I mean, and... Just for people listening, there are other teachers out there focused on this stuff. Right? Of course, there are. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, Great. we're seeing dancers yeah. who are moving away from them. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I've been in lots of classes where it's a lot of the top champions now. I feel, in my experience, at least with the all stars, are starting to reiterate the importance of the partnership and partnered musicality. That it's not just about showing yourself off. Um, we, I know Royston has talked a lot about how competition drove, like the way competitions are judged in prelim drove the dance to be a little more selfish and away from the partnership because you're judged as an individual and not the partnership. Um, so hopefully there is more of a return to being more grounded, being more connected, not having separate classes on how to dance to, to blues. And to your point, John, blues is not a single type of music, right? Like it's a broad genre, but at the same time, it's not soul, you know, like there's a wide variety of music that people aren't yeah. dancing to that they call blues. Like people don't yeah. even understand what blues are to begin with. Right. Um, and then they say, I can't dance to it. I'm like, how do you, <laughs> how do you dance to hip hop, funk, pop, you know, all sorts of abstract, slow music with no beat. And you tell me you can't dance to blues. To blues, right. Like that blows my mind. You're dancing to so many other varieties of music and yet you don't know how to dance to that which has a ton of instruments and vocals that help you hear the beats right. and all that stuff so it should be much easier to, to you know to dance to yes. you know like like john you know, said i really do think that there's a, a movement a swing back so to speak toward swing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, i don't know if it's public yet but i saw a preview of the jt team mm-hmm. uh, last weekend mm-hmm. and it's two aretha songs mm. 
It's both. I think the June. I I could be wrong. It's, it is public because they um, did. They went. To, they did Swingcouver, didn't they? Yeah, um, the varsity yeah. song is um uh uh Ricky. What is it? Ricky's All Star Joint. Danny's uh, All Star. Danny's All Star Joint by. Uh, it's yeah, not Aretha Jones. Yeah, yeah Ricky yeah. Jones. And there was, I think the the one song is, I think there's an Aretha song. It might be Think. Okay. I can't remember. But anyway, they, from what I understand, um, I don't know this firsthand, but they 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 did it on purpose. They wanted to the show back right. towards swing. Right. Yes. And um, I, I I think it's, I do think there's a, a renewed interest. I really do. Mm-hmm. And it's this makes me happy. It really does. I think I, you know, I, I've, I always find, like we said this in the podcast with Victor, that, you know, everything comes back to center or sw- the, sw- the pendulum always, you know, swings back. Sometimes we go really far out and then we always end up coming back because you have to come back to home base. There's the, it's the only way. Don't you think? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's the only well, way. I hope. I hope, you know, I think the culture has, uh, has gotten so competition heavy that I think it's, um, I think what we're talking about is a social aspect of swing dancing. Right. And uh, you, one can't deny the competitive culture is mm-hmm. the dominant culture. Even mm-hmm. when the social, when it's social dancing, people are doing it like there's other people with clipboards around. Right. So, um, a little bit, uh, yeah, I don't know. I hope it swings back. I don't, I don't expect it to swing back to the way it was in the nineties. Uh, you know, when we all danced the same way and we were all dancing to similar music. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to go back to now, you know, like North River Bar a little bit for a second, because, uh, you know, most people don't uh, know that uh, in New York City, there's been a law forever, um, you know, that prohibits, you know, places that have, you know, food and drink to have dancing unless they have a cabaret license. However, that uh, law was never, ever enforced because we danced through that law through the years of North River Bar and, and so on and, and then Iguana and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden it became impossible to get a venue. Can you explain what happened, why this happened and your involvement in uh, trying to get this uh, cabaret law abolished? Oh, I love this so much. Um, the first <laughs> time, the, here's why. The first time that they sued the city to overturn the cabaret laws the lawsuit was Festa v. New York City. Right. And I love this. You could even Google it. It's, mm-hmm. It comes right up. I love it so much. Now, there was this law, and they did, in fact, um, um, enforce it from time to time. Remember when Swing 46 closed for a week? That's right. Oh, right. Cabaret law. Right. And um, uh, when I was a child and I used to work in bars, the bouncers would go around and tell people to stop moving, you know, right. if they if they moved too much because they didn't want to risk you know, closure or, or, or summons, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. So um, Meredith Stead was working uh, as a, as a, in a lawyer's office. I forgot if she was actually a lawyer. She was one of the lawyers. Paralegal, I think, and she was becoming a lawyer, right? She was becoming a lawyer, something right. like that. She was, she got a, uh, she was working with a guy at NYU, a professor, I think, who sued the city successfully to overturn the cabaret law that affected the live music. But it never considered the dancing part. So the dancing part stayed on the books. So Meredith spoke to him about doing this. And the first time, and that's how I got involved. And that's how uh, the lawsuit became to be known, Festive in New York City. Um, we lost. And if I remember correctly, the second go-round lost. But just last year, it passed. And they abolished the cabaret laws, uh-huh. which is great. Now, finding a venue in New York City has become impossible, impossible. Mm -hmm. You know, I always sought a little bar, a little hole-in-the-wall bar with a couple of, you know, bright, shiny spots for dances. Um, And you could find them, these little hole-in-the-walls. You know, when Gotham Spring Club first started, I hooked up dances at Woolman Rink. And uh, it was just a one-time dance in Central Park on a summer night. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Then we did monthly dances at Windows on the World in the World Trade mm-hmm. Center. Fantastic. I had my own dance in the uh, uh, Tavern on the Green out in the garden. Fantastic. Got thrown out of every single place. Because uh, of the license? Because people were not drinking as much. And every right. one of these places brought us in thinking that they were going to drink. And uh, Windows on the World found a pint of uh, bourbon in the banquette and threw us right out. 
and uh, uh, Tevin on the green. They didn't want to do a cover charge. I said, guys, they said, we'll put it on their check. I said, there, there will be no check. They're not going to sit down. And, and, and they're like, well, we don't. And that was that. But anyway, um, the price nowadays for a spot is so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, some of the, uh, the community are finding these little spots that will hold, hold the dance. Uh, Marlon and Jess Ann Nail are finding these cute little spots, uh, but it's not, uh, I honestly don't know how they're doing it. Or maybe I just stopped looking, you know, uh, I've been, I lost my last tiny little spot, which was this adorable little lounge. Uh, under remember downstairs, uh, right? Downstairs. Yeah. I love that spot. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost that. Then they wound up putting in a, a cinder block floor. So that's that. Oof. What was, but, uh, yeah. What made you successful the third go around in overturning the cabaret law? What was different the third time? You know, I wasn't involved in it at all. It was, uh, uh, I really just think it was time. Everyone realized it was a a stupid law. It's just stupid. Yeah. And I I think, you know, it's, it was just time. I don't, I don't really know, Hmm. but you know, I think it's like loosening the uh, peanut butter jar. I take full responsibility. (laughs) <laughs> how do you how do you think we got away with it for so long i mean i like at north river bar like do you think it was because we were downtown it was a biker bar nobody would suspect that we were dancing there i mean don't forget deborah yeah i say this as i laugh uh, north river bar was a cop hangout right Frankie, the retired detective right and the the police station was a half a block down it was uh, north river bar was on hudson and hubert right. and um the police station was a half a block down on Franklin and uh, what, what was it, Northmore? No wait. Yeah, so we had an inn. So exactly, right? We certainly did. We we got a pass. We got a free pass from time to time, if you remember. Right. Yeah, I do remember actually <laughs> hanging outside <laughs> with the cops driving by. Yeah, yeah, I remember now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Totally. What led to North River Bar ending? It ended in 2000? 2001? 2000. Uh, uh, yeah, gentrification. The building was sold. They originally it was a it was a manufacturing building, and they uh, turned it into high end condos. Mm-hmm. And North River Bar was right where the lobby was going to be, and they were going to extend the lobby. And it turned out that they never did because for, for a time it was a furniture store. And I walked by there, and oh my goodness, this was years ago because I don't even know what's there now. Um, but to just walk by and think about the you know the the ghosts that were there and what right. there. Yeah. It was so fantastic. And Spanky got more involved than I did. He would, uh, towards the middle of the run, he would contact me and go, you know, it's our anniversary coming up. What are we doing? Wait, what do we, we have to do this. And, and he, oh, had, that's fun. He, he had mugs made that say North River Bar. And I would give them out cause we would always have a birthday dances. So then we had, uh, 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 I would give out the mugs and it, he was so into it. It was so adorable. It was so adorable. You know, I've asked you on several occasions, and maybe I need to just be a little bit more pushy about it, um, that, <laughs> that we I'm should scared. have a, a a North River Bar, you know, reunion. And um, I'm sure Spanky could help us find a place. Spanky, from what I understand, is in Florida. And the, I, the last I heard, I don't even know if he's alive. He was He was older than I was by like 20 years, so... Well, I think we should still think about it. You know, I would love it. I don't know. You know, I tried. I did go around looking for spots. Um, and it was a challenge. I looked at this gorgeous room at NYU uh, that one of the guys hooked me up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. It was just it just got too hard. You know, I got old. I got lazy. <laughs> Do you have um, any favorite memories from North River Bar? Uh, you know, it was so... It was just so much fun. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't have, I can't think of any, any too many good ones moment, like any particular yeah. moment. Um, uh, I remember a few things. I remember the night Hazel walked in in white pants and an orange top and high heels <laughs> and on straight legs. And I said, who's that girl? And, um, I, I, I can't, you know, there was, I, I don't have any specific. No, I really yeah. don't. I really don't. I remember the last night. It was so poignant. And 
I kept playing and playing and playing because the room was full. Normally, it used to end at 12.30. And it's now 2 in the morning, 2.15, and I kept playing. And then finally, somebody came over and said, don't you know why, know why they're here? I said, no, why? They said they all want to wait for the last song. And I kept waiting. I kept playing, <laughs> not realizing they were waiting for the last song. Mm-hmm. And then when they did, and I do remember the last song, I played non-swing because, you know, being the artist that I am, I played uh, Conte Portiero by um, Andrea Puccelli. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And it was just, it was just so, so moving. But yeah. It was, was sad. Great. It yeah. was great. What do you hope the legacy of North River Bar will be? I mean, we still talk about it. How do you want people that, to remember it and think of it? You know, that's what's so great about it is that <clears throat> everybody still talks about it. And it is it, it left its mark on, on everybody who was there. Even mm-hmm. if they just came once, they remember because the place was it was like electric what yeah. was going on there. You couldn't escape it. It was like people were so excited. And um the fact that they're still talking about it, and even the younger generation, they 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 know of it. They mm-hmm. know of it. And that makes me really happy. And I couldn't ask for more than that. You know, it's just, you know, it was a moment in time. Everybody came together. Right. It was beautiful. It turned people on to the dance, which is always one of the one of the things I really liked. I wanted people to see how cool this was because it was really cool. And uh and it kind of did that. Well, you mentioned, you know, the the newer generation, you know, of dancers. Like, what advice, like, would you give them, and what do you wish that they would do differently? You know, I'm pro dance, and I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that people want to dance. I, I, I really am. Um, I uh, everybody should do their thing. I would love personally, like you said, what would I wish? I wish they would. Uh, um, have an interest in the a- actual the history of West Coast Swing. You know, look at Lindy Hoppers. Lindy Hoppers look backwards yeah. with all their forward looking. It's all they're just so jazzed by what happened. Yeah, that wanted they want to bring it forward. And I don't think West Coast <laughs> Swing would never have that. They, it never did. Even back in the nineties, it didn't have that. It was always forward looking. Oh, always. I don't, I don't know if I agree with that because when I came into the um, scene. Everyone, you like all the people that like I was uh, influenced by, like um, Laura Spalding and Myra Pineda. We would go to their house and they would show me videos of old U.S. Open routines and stuff. So they educated me about how the dance started. And obviously, dancing with, you know, um, Robert, he would tell me a lot of things, and then learning, you know, the dance from you and John Lindo. So I, I think it's changed now, but. When I was in it, I felt like I felt like I learned a lot about the history and stuff. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known everybody. Yeah, but wasn't that more current than historical? Wasn't that what was actually happening at the time? Uh, no, because I, you know, knew about people that like weren't around anymore and stuff, and I saw videos from the eighties and. Right. Uh, uh, would I say? Would 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 did they talk to me about current stuff going on too? Yeah. Yeah. But I knew about other stuff before then, which made me want to do the dance more. Yeah. Well, that's that would be my hope is that people were interested in actual, you know, um, you know, the the swing dancing, the swing of it, the right. swing. Because I'm I'm in it for the swing. I'm still in it for the swing. Nothing's changed. I went to this beautiful meeting that Jess and Nell had organized, and it was um, it was kind of like a goal setting meeting i thought it was more i thought it was going to be more community driven but it turned out to be more personal goal driven Mm -hmm. and i really appreciated that but when it came my turn to say what my goals were my cake is baked i've been doing the same thing for 30 years but i dig it i totally dig it i have no goals in terms of my dancing i would like more footwork i would like you know i would like more of what i'm already doing is what i just want more um, but I don't say that to be, you know, to bra- braggadocious or, or I just, I just love what I do so much. I love it so much. I still, I am a fan of swing dancing. I am a swing dancer. Yes, this, you are. This is my thing. So, um, 
we're a fan of you too. Oh, yeah. very kind. Thank you. Awesome. John, you've been great. Yeah, this thank was you. awesome. Thank, thank you, you so much for joining us. Yeah, we enjoy uh, you. you. I enjoy you. Thank Please make sure you, you make this, you know, um, consumer friendly. It's listen, <laughs> everything you said, everything we said, we, everything we said was, yeah, it's consumer friendly. And this is why we call it the naked truth. And I think it's important for people to hear all different types of points of view without getting upset and annoyed, you know, about it. Like, like I said, that survey they got back from, you know, Austria, there was a lot of people that were like, oh, she's old school. She's old school. She's old school. And, um, and she only wants it her way. And, and this is why language barrier is so hard, because when I was explaining what I was teaching, I said, this is how I do it. And this is how I feel um, about it. We, there's so, so teachers that teach different things. And I think we're all right. We have something, you know, to offer. So this is what we're offering. I want people to listen to everything. Yes. And, you know, I think the purpose of a class is for one hour right. to try something else. Right. Sure. For one hour. Right. Because because your body learns to dance, your brain does not learn to dance, your body learns to dance. So mm -hmm. if you can get that body to move a certain way, even for that short amount of time, the the seed is sown. And if it serves their, that person's movement, it will grow someplace. So mm -hmm. I agree with you, Deborah. I think they should be exposed to a variety to of things. Yeah. Yes. Well, I will so, also say that um, actually the very first event I went to was Boston Tea Party in 2001 2000 and uh i have few memories from that but one of them is a workshop that i took with you i only knew lindy uh, and and even then i knew like four months of lindy like i could barely <laughs> walk um and i remember watching you and i remember your workshop um and really appreciating the focus on connection because you were focused on getting that counterbalance and your feet man like i I was like, that dude's like a strong dude with the like lightest feet I've ever seen. It was amazing. It was beautiful. I still really love watching you dance and, and watching you. exactly what you talked about, like creating that partnership and then mm -hmm. all this cool rhythmic action underneath. It's extraordinary. And I hope that people get the chance to study with you and get the chance to hear your music and what you're offering. So, you know, Deborah and I both wanted to have you on the show. We've talked about you with other people yeah. because your perspective is important. What you offer to this dance is very important. And it's, it really helped me too. I remember working with you with Kelly on our routine back in 2006 or seven, whatever it was. And yeah, yeah I, I, I hope you stay active in the scene and keep putting forth your voice. Absolutely. And I and think it's important for people to understand people. that John is a, like he's not just a swing dancer, like he's a trained dancer. Like he mm -hmm. did ballet, he was classically trained and, and then what happened? Like you broke your foot and and Yeah, that's how I started swing dancing actually. Right. I broke my foot and, but I I couldn't jump. It wasn't broken terribly. But I just couldn't jump, which of course is all ballet is. Right. So but see um, you understand your body and it's it's important for us to recognize that we have really educated dancers in our dance that offer us things that we need. Right. Right. And we yeah. need you. Yeah. Thank you so much, you guys. And thank you for all you do, both of you. Yeah, this is thank you. Great. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. Our pleasure. If people want to contact you, what's the best way for them to reach you? If they're on Facebook, they can just look for me on Facebook, John Festa, simple. My email is johnfesta at swingislove.com. <laughs> of course. A <laughs> <laughs> hundred years. I used to have a website. Well, I still have a website, but it's quite inactive. Swing is love. Just plain English. John Festa at swingislove.com. Awesome. Thank you to everyone who came to our live show at Swingcouver. We will be doing another live event at Rose City Swing on Friday night at 1230 a.m. So check our website and the Rose City Swing schedule for more information. If you want to share your thoughts and reactions with us about this episode, you can post a comment on our website. You can respond to our post on Facebook, or you can share your thoughts in our discussion group on Facebook. You can also email Deborah and me anytime through our website, thenakedtruthwcs.com, or through our Facebook page. To get the latest news, you can like our page on Facebook, subscribe to our newsletter, follow us on Instagram, or follow us on Twitter with the 14 other people who follow us. <laughs> nobody's on Twitter. I think we have 15 now because Babak was coerced into following us in our live show. Uh don't forget, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and a number of other podcast hosting platforms. Of course, if you've enjoyed this episode, 
Please take a moment to leave us a review on Facebook. And if you're on iTunes, please rate us and give us a review over on iTunes. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah. And that's the naked truth. So, John, what's that thing that you used to say, or you always used to put it on the Swing Central um, thing at the bottom? Uh, music has no color, uh, something. I did that, yes. Somebody got mad at me. I love this. <laughs> it's from 40s, I think. I, I Honestly, I don't know, but it's from another time. And it was, and this is when you guys were, uh, talking about my groove because right. remember Deborah at the, at the river, we used to say, we're now we're going to go black. Yes. I didn't uh, want to say that. I didn't want to say it. <laughs> yeah. That saying is music knows no color, but nothing beats colored music. That's it. Mm. And somebody, and again, this is from the forties, right. but that's the thing, you know, it's always that soul, that deep, strong, driving soul, that bass. Yeah. Yes.